turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. It's a, it's a funny thing, the kind of memories that you attach to Christmas, or anything for that matter. Did you know that the number one sense, I mean like the five senses that we have, that's tied to memory, do you know what it is? Smell. Smell. Uh, I think of Christmas and I think of the smell of my grandmother's house. We, uh, most of my family on my side lived in the same basic area, and so we would all get together on Christmas morning. We'd have our own Christmas at the house, and then it was everybody over to my grandmother's house, and as soon as you walked in, biscuits and Smithfield ham. That was, that was the Christmas breakfast. So every time I, I, I'm around Smithfield ham, it takes me back. Also mingled in there the smell of linoleum and whatever uh, aroma my grandmother put in her house at that particular time. Then there's the memory of sight. My most vivid memory of Christmas time when I was a kid was riding down Washington Street and there was this row of merchants on Washington Street that are largely all gone now, sadly. But there at the end was Felt's Drugstore. And I would sit in the back seat, and Felt's Drugstore always had this Christmas tree on the top of their drugstore. And it just felt like as a kid, it always rained at Christmas. I don't know why. Just growing up, I always felt like it rained. And uh, anytime I am in a situation to where the, the weather's like that, and it's cold, and it's rainy, and I'm looking out the car window, my mind immediately goes to Christmas, you know. When I was a kid, I got so excited about Christmas, and it, it felt like it would never, ever come. You had 365 days in the year, and the uh, 25 from December to December 1st to Christmas seemed like they were about four days apiece each day. And I confess to you that... As a kid, I probably did not have my focus as clearly on Jesus as I should have. Um, my parents were good to remind me of the true meaning of Christmas and really the only meaning of Christmas. But despite their best efforts, I still found myself focusing on the presents. I went through a stage in life in which, frankly, Christmas didn't mean as much to me as it should have in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I didn't put up a tree. Um, the couple that was here a few weeks ago, Meg and Tony Hurley, Meg was our office manager at Riverview, and she called me the Grinch because I didn't see the point of putting up a tree. It was just me. I could look at other people's trees, save the work, save the hassle, you know. So I made a point to take her into my office I, I, and, and, and show her where my tree would be so she would know that I'm not a Grinch anymore. But then I got to a point where Christmas started really generating excitement into me again. But I find that now it's not at all derived from the gifts that I get, although I am appreciative of them. I'm thankful. 
but it's, it's outward. And those of us that are parents or have kids in our lives in some capacity, we know how, enjoy, how much we enjoy seeing them open presents and seeing them enjoy the season. And that's all great. But I find as I get older and as I strive to walk with God more closely, and I'm nowhere near where I ought to be, but as I strive to walk with God more closely, it's starting to focus where it ought to be finally. I love the trees. I love the lights. I love the decorations. I love the songs. I love all of that. But as I get older and as I try to walk with the Lord, my focus gets more and more where it should be. And I hope that you're finding that to be the case too. May God protect us from adding Jesus on as a, oh yeah, and by the way, happy birthday Jesus kind of thing. Nothing wrong with the other stuff if they're kept in their place. But I want to just give you three things. We're in Galatians chapter 4 is where we'll start. But I wanted to give you three things I love about Christmas. Three things I love about Christmas. Father, this will not be a long message unless you determine it to be. But Lord, I pray that you would help me to get the message of your word across in the way that would most please you. May Jesus be lifted up in an unusual way tonight. May it be clear to us who this whole thing is about. Lord, help me. And, and if you'll help me, I expect you'll help your, your people here to fall in love with the lovely Lord Jesus all over again. To renew our appreciation for who he is, what he's done, and what he'll soon do. So speak to us, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen. Three things I love about Christmas. Number one, I love its positioning. <clears throat> there are certain holidays, things that we enjoy that, you know, we expect them to come the same time every year. But if you're honest, you don't really attach any real significance to where they fall in a year. For instance, Valentine's Day, or for some, Single Awareness Day. I don't know of too many people that say, oh, Valentine's, I just love February. February is a tough month. <laughs> There's a lot to do, and you have the least number of days to do it in, and it's cold while you do it. I, I, I get why it falls in February, but, but the positioning of Valentine's Day is not that significant. Labor Day. Oh, I just love the Labor Day season. If you want to get really obscure, oh, don't you just love St. Lucia's Day? Isn't that wonderful? Don't you love that season? But Christmas. Christmas just seems to be perfectly positioned in the year, isn't it? 
Now, I know people, well, you realize Jesus likely wasn't born on December 20th. Yeah, I know. I know. And that's not the point. That's not the point. The season and what it represents, I think, is, is perfectly positioned. But it, it's not just because it falls, you know, when the weather is cool and the snow starts to fall and all that. No, 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 no. I love that Christmas is positioned where it is in the vast scope of humanity's measurement of time. Do you understand that the event that we know as the birth of Christ is perfectly situated within all of human history? We start in Galatians 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman made under the law. Why? To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The fullness of the time. What an interesting phrase. It has the idea of the absolute most perfect and fullest moment. In fact, it was a word in the Greek culture that was often used to describe the optimal moment for a woman to go into labor. It's time. In heaven, God the Father looked to his son and said, it's time. That which had been going for 4,000 years, that which, as we talked about this morning, had been promised 4,000 years earlier in the Proto-Evangelium of Genesis 3.15, the Father finally says, it's time. Now, we won't spend a lot of time on this, but all of humanity and all of the geopolitical, everything was perfectly situated for this moment. The Roman Empire and all of the travel abilities and the, 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 the Greek language being across the, all of that stuff worked in to make this the most optimal time for this to happen because God's never early and he's never late. He is always right on time. All of time centers around the birth of Christ, B.C., A.D., Now, they can change the initials all they want to and say BCE, before the common era. And they can do that all they want to, but it doesn't change where the point is. Jesus is the very center of our reckoning of time. All of human human history revolves around Jesus. All because God looked at his son and said, it's time. Can I give you some encouragement? I don't think it's going to be long before God looks at his son a second time and says, it's time. What happens then? The dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Oh, we were excited to read back about that first time. We should be equally, in fact, more excited to consider the next time. What do I love about Christmas? I love its positioning. I'll tell you what else I love. 
I love its promise. You ever just had a tough year? (laughs) We've had uh, several in a row, haven't we? In different ways. Some of you have gone through extraordinarily difficult times. All of us, of course, went through the whole COVID fiasco. Some would have us continue to go through it. But if you're like me, I mean, I think of, I think of 2020. I just, yeah, it was different. It worked out differently. But there was just something about Christmas that, that renewed my hope in a better year to come. There was a certain promise about it. Well, Christmas itself offers a promise. When Jesus emerged from Mary's womb and was wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in a manger, he fulfilled so many promises. 700 years earlier, a prophet named Micah wrote, But thou, Bethlehem Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me. That is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been been from old, from everlasting, 700 years earlier. 750 years earlier. Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Promise fulfilled. In that same time period, Isaiah 9, 6, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Every time I read that, I love it. He doesn't need both shoulders. He can handle it with one. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Oh, but there was another promise, one of many. This time, 1,700 years earlier. Genesis 49, verse 10, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Was Jesus born of the tribe of Judah? He was, twice over. Physically born through Mary, legally through Joseph. The The only one who had a legal right to the throne of David, the only one with a spiritual right to the throne of David, the only one, and that's because of the virgin birth. Without the virgin birth, Jesus can't reign. But then, as we talked about this morning, 4,000 years earlier, the promise, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. These prophecies predate their fulfillments by hundreds and even thousands of years. And this undergirds a simple but wonderful truth. Yeah, it may seem like it's taken forever, but never forget, whether it's 750 years, whether it's 4,000 years, whether it's 30 days, God keeps his promises. 
if we don't get anything else from this Christmas season, may we be reminded as we look at the trees and the lights and the ribbons and the wreaths and the poinsettias, may we be reminded that God keeps his promises. And if I can see that he's kept every other promise up to this point, can I have confidence that he'll keep the ones that are not yet fulfilled? Yes, I can. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again. That where I am, there you may be also. Maybe you struggle with the matter of assurance. Here, here's, here's, here's what I lean on. Jesus said, if I believe on him, I'd be saved. So what, what do I hold on to to know that I'm going to heaven? My good works? No. How I feel? No. How I act? Not generally. I hold on to the simple truth that God keeps his promises. You're facing a dark time, a difficult time. A doctor has given you bad news. An employer has given you bad news. You don't know what you're going to do. But what promise did he make through Paul? And we know that all things work together for good. To them that love God, to them are the called according to his purpose. God keeps his promises. I love Christmas for its positioning. And I love Christmas for its purpose, for its uh, promise. But then thirdly, I love it for its purpose. Go to Matthew chapter 1, would you? Matthew chapter 1. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was on this wise. Matthew 1 verse 18. When as his mother Mary was espoused to Joseph before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Ghost. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. While he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins." Jesus was a very common name in that time, uh, something akin to John today, a common name. It's a fairly common name in Hispanic culture. They pronounce it Jesus. It's a fairly common name in American English, only it sounds a little different. The Americanization of this name would be the name Joshua. All of them mean the same thing. Whether it's Jesus, Jesus, Joshua, Yeshua, they mean Jehovah is salvation. It's important 
not just that he offers or that he brings or that he brings about or does, it's Jehovah is salvation. Salvation is not a plan, friend, it's a man. The God-man, Jesus Christ. His very name was meant to be a promise. Joseph, you're going to name him Jesus because he shall save his people, not from Roman domination, not from political cruelty, not from oppression, social injustice, poverty, or disease. Oh, there comes a day in which he, he subdues all of that. But that's not why he came. He came to deal with an enemy far greater, far deadlier, far more eternal in its consequence. You're naming Jesus, Joseph, for he shall save his people from their sin. The church has embraced a social gospel that does nobody any eternal good and very little temporal good. Well, should not the church's main focus be social justice? All right. Let me give you a quick semantics lesson. There's no such thing as social justice. Something is either just or it's not. There's no social justice, there's no racial justice, there's no economic justice, there's no educational justice. It's either just or it's not just. Justice is justice. It's like truth. There's no such thing as your truth and my truth and this truth over here and that truth. No, truth or untruth. Okay. Now, should we speak out against injustice? Absolutely but not to the exclusion of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Should we feed the hungry as much as we can? Sure. Should we endeavor to help people temporally? Yes, but only as a means to an end. And that end being giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. One thing I appreciate about the Salvation Army for years and years and years, and there are still some faithfully doing this. Yeah, they had shelters and and, you know, soup kitchens and all of that. But William Booth's, William Booth's view of that and William Booth's goal was always to be to feed, fill their belly that they might concentrate to hear the gospel. And I'm all for that. But, but you've, got, you've got guys standing behind pulpits. One of them was, was just put back in his Senate seat. He proclaims everything but the word of God. Everything but the gospel of Jesus Christ. Shame on us if we do that. Jesus, well, yes, one day he'll set all of that right. He didn't come to get them out from under the Romans. He didn't come to have, you know, three square meals for everybody, a chicken in every pot. No, he came because people were lost and dying, and he alone could save them from their sins. A full belly means nothing if you die and go to hell. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. Jesus said, the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. 
never forget the purpose of Christmas. That precious baby did not just come because he looks good in nativity scenes. It's been rightly said, people love the little baby in the manger. They have a harder time with the one on the cross. Without the cross, the cradle means nothing. He was born to die. And for 33 years, he walked among sinful men. And then came the time that God, as he knelt there in Gethsemane, under the ever-increasing weight of my sin, your sin, as God supernaturally began to pile it on him and to pile it on him. You see, Andy, you don't... You don't think that happened at the cross? No, I think it happened before that. Because I don't think any lash, I don't think any bit of spittle, I don't think any thorn went unused. God began to judge our sins culminating in the cross. The lashes were mine. The thorns were mine. The blasphemies Mine, beaten with rods, struck with the hand, all of that was meant for me. And then it culminated when they took his tattered, terribly lacerated, disfigured body and stretched him out on that cross. And he hung there between heaven and earth for six hours and God poured out his wrath about my sin against your iniquity as Jesus hung there. Six hours, an eternity of hell was condensed and laid upon him. And then, at just the right time, God saw the travail of his soul and was satisfied. He was satisfied that my sin had been paid for. He was satisfied that your iniquity had been answered for. And Jesus, in his spirit, sensed that the Father was satisfied. So what did he do? gripped those nails around his hands or in his hands and went through the agony of pushing against the nails in his feet to draw in that breath that he might cry out Tetelestai it is finished never forget was the purpose of Christmas. Celebrate it. Have parties. Give gifts. Decorate to your heart's content. But don't forget that first coming of Christ 
perfectly positioned, reminds us that there's another perfect moment coming. The promises that God kept up to that point, he'll keep for the rest of eternity. The purpose, Jehovah is salvation. May God keep our focus on these three, these three things to love about Christmas.